to carry on this morning looking on from verse 8 of Hebrews 11 through to verse um, 16. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, as with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. I, I found this, this portion incredibly encouraging, and I hope that you're going to be encouraged out of this morning. I tried to say to you uh, last week that all of us are in great need of endurance in our lives. And uh, already uh, the writer of the Hebrews has encouraged us, said, don't throw away your confidence. You are in need of perseverance for what God call, has called you to do. Hang in there. Persevere, for in due time you will receive a reward and you will receive your inheritance. And I try to encourage you that all of us, we should be living with that passion for the reward that God is going to give us for our inheritance. And I've, I put it to you that last time that too many of us or too few of us are not really motivated with that eternal reward when we live. We kind of get uh, our view gets pulled back into a very small view of this earth and our lives and working and our jobs and all the pressures that that has for us. And we lose perspective of the eternal thing that God is calling us to. And that early Christians always lived with view, uh, eternal perspective in mind. And I said to you, I'm going to get there eventually, but we're going to look at heaven in a, in a couple of months' time. To, to live with an eternal perspective, we are, we are living with heaven in mind. I hope you are living with heaven in mind. This is not as good as it gets. We are aliens and strangers here. If you feel a little bit uncomfortable on this earth, that's because you are not born to be here forever. You are born to be in heaven with your Father forever. You should feel a little uncomfortable here. Should may be making a difference. Should be trying our best to bring God's kingdom while we are on this earth. But we are not living for now. We are living for eternity. And I trust that something of that perspective will grip your heart as we look at the nature of persevering faith. Um, and this morning in particular with Abraham. Remember last week we started by looking at verse 1 where the writer says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. Faith is that absolute knowing uh, in our knower that we can trust God, that He's good, that His promises and His word to us are trustworthy. That's what faith is. That we, we take God at, at His word and that God keeps His word. We can trust His goodness in our lives. And the, the writer to the Hebrews says we can have that kind of faith to, to persevere in, in difficult circumstances because of what Jesus has done for us and he speaks a lot in the earlier chapters about the blood of Christ and what um, 
what the blood of Christ has secured for us, and that's what Michael majored on. And because of what the blood of Christ has done for us, we can have confidence to persevere because of all that Jesus has secured for us eternally. So that's the first thing that we looked at last week. And secondly, we saw that having this kind of persevering faith, it brings God's commendation into our lives. It brings His approval. It brings the well done of God into our lives when we persevere. Um, all these great uh, heroes that we look at in Hebrews chapter 11, they all heard the well done of God. And I, I trust that you are living to hear the well done of God in your life. That you've done the thing that He called you to do. Um, and I said to you last time that all of these people had unique things to do. And that they didn't have to copy anybody else because God had something for them to do that was unique to their lives. And so, uh, Samson fought the Philistines, Noah built an ark, Rahab saved, saved the spies. All of these people had unique things that God called them to do. And my encouragement to you was, God has something unique for you to do. And you don't have to copy anyone else. You don't have to copy me. I don't have to copy you. God's call for you is unique. And God's call for me is unique. And together, we work out the things so the kingdom of God can come. But you can enjoy who you are and the gifts that God has given you and the call that God has given to you because it's unique. It's, it's your call. And that's the great lessons of, 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 of Hebrews chapter 11. They didn't try and copy each other. Noah didn't try and defeat the Philistines. Uh, Rahab didn't try and build an ark like Noah had done. They did the thing that God had called them to do. Too much of the church tries to copy so we can be successful. Isn't that true? One church is suddenly successful. Now everybody wants to have worship like that church. Yes? We're all trying to copy each other. Why? We want success. No, just do the thing that God has called you to do. That is success. That's what He wants for you. That's what He wants for me. That's what that He wants for, for churches. And so let that encourage you again this morning. And in particular, last week we looked at uh, Abel, Enoch, and Noah. Um, and I said specifically that um, Abel pointed us to the sacrifice of Jesus through the fact that he, he offered up an animal. Um, Enoch showed us that uh, death was defeated in the fact that he was taken up to heaven without dying. Noah preached the gospel in his day and so saved his family. And he, that was the unique th thing that God called him to do. And all these stories are there to encourage us in our own journey of faith. And so I trust that you're going to get that again this morning. And here we come back to our old friend Abraham. And once again, Abraham gets more attention than anybody else in this chapter. And why is that? Well, simply because Abraham is the father of every Christian believer. I've said this to you before. Abraham is the father of faith. Abraham is the prototype Christian. Abraham was a Christian before Jesus came. Why? Because he believed God by faith. He is our father. And so he's the, he, he, he is the one that gets most attention in this chapter. And once again in verse 8, the writer of the Hebrews takes up his story in detail and says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. I've got 12 things out of this portion for you this morning, and they are very simple. And they will not take long, right? So when you hear 12, don't go, oh God, three hours, here we come. No, half an hour and we'll be done. 20 minutes and we'll be done. Very, very simple things about how we can know that we're responding with faith. Okay, here's the first one. Faith always involves a word from God. Always. Abraham didn't leave Ur to do his own thing. He was called by God. God spoke specifically to him. 
and he responded to the word that God spoke to him. Too many times as a pastor in the years of ministry, I've seen many people come and say that God is calling them to do something and it's just them doing their own thing. There's a difference. There's a difference between hearing a word from God and you just wanting something and doing your own thing. Abraham didn't leave to do his own thing. He left because God called him to leave. And this is the, the tension that we live in with faith. Is this God speaking to me or is this just me wanting to do my own thing? And it's a very hard balance to get in your life. And there's a great difference between faith, hearing from God, and presumption and just doing our own thing. Make sure that when you do something, you have heard from God. Why? Because when you read Abraham's story, it was not easy. <laughs> we sometimes presume, oh, if we've heard from God, it's, oh, it's going to be easy. No, no, no. You need to have heard from God before you do anything because generally you have to persevere to do what God has called you to do. You better have heard from Him. That's the thing He's calling you to do. Amen? So faith always involves a word from God. Secondly, faith always looks towards the future. There's always this great expectation and hope of what is yet to come. That's why I said some weeks ago to you when we were talking about the prophetic that, that the currency of the prophetic is hope. Yes? Why? Because the prophetic unlocks faith in our hearts as we hear God's promises spoken over us. Faith is unlocked and that's always to do with the future. It's always to do with what yet is lies ahead of us. Faith has always got a sense of looking to the, the future. Thirdly, faith looks to our inheritance and looks to our reward. And this is said very specifically in the book of Hebrews, but uh, it's said many times in other parts of the, of the scripture that Abraham left what was comfortable, what he knew, for the sake of the inheritance, the thing that still was coming that he couldn't yet see, that he knew God had promised, and he left the comfort, he left the, what was secure, what he knew, to move into something that he didn't know for the sake of the inheritance that was still there. Are you with me? We need to do that all the time. It's, everything in us doesn't want to move. It, it wants, everything in us wants comfort. Everything in us wants security. And yet faith in its, in its nature calls us to the unknown, to the future, what we can't yet see but we know is promised to us. That's the nature of faith. Fourth, do you notice that when you walk in faith like Abraham, you have a rough knowledge of the future thing that God has called you to, but you don't know all the specifics. Do you notice that? Abraham was called to go. He knew he had to go. He was called and God said, I'm going to give you a land. He had heard the promise there was a land coming, that there was inheritance coming. He didn't know where. He didn't know when. He didn't know how. He didn't know all the details. But he responded to the call. Isn't it like that in our lives when we hear God call us to something? Sometimes we don't know all the details. We have got the big thing, but the little thing gets worked out as we go forward, as we walk. All the details um, get put in place. How do we like it as human beings? I want to know all the details before I go and do the big thing. Isn't that how we like to be? Oh no, God, that's not enough for me. Just give me, a, just give me all the details. Well, I'm not sure faith is like that. God doesn't give us all the details. He, he, give, he gives us the big thing He wants to call us to do, and He gives us the next thing that we need to do, so we respond to that thing, and then that opens up, and we go. Are you with me? That's how faith works. It's not getting all the details. It's not getting the whole roadmap. It's getting something of, 
of the, the destination, the place that he wants us to go to, and then we get to enjoy the journey, and then we can navigate for ourselves between point A and point B as we hear God's voice. It's quite exciting, actually, I think. Still with me? That's what it says, verse 9. It clearly says, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, as with him of the same promise. You know, I've said we, don't, we, um, we mustn't go and do our own thing, but it's also true that uh, when we look at Abraham's story, he didn't really know where he was going until he got there, and then he knew it was the thing. It's like we've got to live in this funny tension in our lives as we respond by faith. Um, then I'd like to point you fifthly. So I said there's 12. We're almost halfway. Fifth, faith ultimately, its vision is ultimately focused on what happens after death. And I love this. Do you notice that even though Abraham was focused on the promised land, he was focused on his inheritance, he didn't think of that as his permanent home. What does it say? Second half of verse 9. He was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and building, a builder is God. He was living for eternity. He was living for his eternal home. He was living for heaven. He was living for this eternal reward that he was moving towards. And I, I, I want to appeal to you that we would all do well to remember that as we live in this world, which encourages us to live in exactly the opposite way. This world encourages us to get as much as we can now, to get the biggest house you can now, to accumulate as much wealth as you can now, and says to you, this is as good as it gets. Enjoy this as much as you can. Abraham lived looking towards an earthly reward, but his main object was what God had for him in eternity. Sixth, do you notice that when you're living a life of faith, sometimes it makes you feel like you're a stranger living in a foreign land? That's what it says of Abraham. Do you notice that? His life separated him from all of those around him. He was like a foreigner. That's what it says. He, his neighbors felt at home in Canaan, but he was a little bit out of sync. He, he kind of was in Canaan, but he wasn't quite comfortable there. But he needed to be there because he was working out the promises of God. He was working out God's call. But he felt, he felt a little bit uncomfortable. His belief, his lifestyle wasn't the same as the Canaanites. He lived like this world was not his permanent home. And so it is for you and I as disciples of Jesus. We love this world. We live in this world. We love the people that God has called us to love. And we do our, our best to see many saved and to see the kingdom of God come. But this world is not quite our home. I hope this world is not your home. I have, I'm 52. With, any, with God's blessing, I might live another 25 years. And then I'm going to be with Him. Then I'm going to live in my permanent home eternally with him i will be with him forever so will you that's the one thing we can all be certain of we are all going to die one day and be with him how many years have you got left i don't know i don't know how many years i've got left 25 maybe if i'm if i'm blessed i'm going to live it as best as i can but with my one eye always on where i'm going and i'm going to be with my father let that motivate you seventh out of that that kind of faith affects your attitude towards your possessions. Do you notice that? Because Abraham 
didn't see Canaan as his permanent home, he didn't see the need to build a massive house and settle down. Do you notice that? It said he lived in tents like someone who would have to move at any moment. He lived like a pilgrim. You and I, people of faith, we are pilgrims. We are not settlers. We're, this is not permanent. Uh, there's nothing, a, a home is a beautiful thing. It's a useful thing. I have a home. I'm very grateful for the house that I live in. God has blessed us with a house. Living in a house is not sinful. But we should live in that house like it's a tent. Like we're about to move at any moment. Like we are not here forever. Do you get my heart? That's what he's saying. He's saying, don't let that thing trap you. It's not your eternal destiny. It's a blessing while you have it. Hold it lightly in your hands. It's, it's, you might have a big house. You might have a smaller house. Enjoy what you have, but live with eternity in mind. God is calling you to home, be at home with Him. That's, that's where we live. Uh, and it says God prepared all these blessings for Abram to walk in. It said He's an heir of these blessings, and He lived for what God could do for him. And it's interesting, he managed to persuade his son, Isaac, and to Jacob, he managed to persuade them to do the same. He kind of won their hearts over into this journey that God was, was calling them to. And so he, his son did the same thing, and his grandson did the same thing. And there was an inheritance for the whole family in the family line in terms of this promise that God had blessed them. Do you notice, eight, they all lived for reward, all of them. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, verse 10. They were looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. I found it fascinating as I was researching a little bit that um, the, you notice it's always pointing to the heavenly city, this chapter. Abraham says living for the heavenly city, the heavenly Jerusalem that's still to come. And when you read early accounts of Genesis, those that were pagans, those that didn't follow Christ, were very interested in building cities. And... Uh, in Genesis 4, Cain builds a city for his son uh, Enoch. In Genesis 11, you know the city of Babel was built by people saying, we want to get to heaven. We want to do this amazing thing and be like God. And if you read the story, God thwarts those attempts. But they were interested in building cities. Isn't it interesting that Abraham's uh, nephew Lot wanted to live in a city. He wanted to live in Sodom. But then he was told by God that God was about to destroy the city. My point is very simple it's in saying all of this, is that God's people were not told to keep their eye on the earthly city. They were told to keep their eye on the heavenly city. The city of Jerusalem is a shadow of the heavenly city. It's not the thing. It's not the thing. Jerusalem, there's people that get into a whole lot of weird theology around Israel. Jerusalem is not the thing. Jerusalem will go. There will be a new Jerusalem. That's what the Bible says. When the new heaven and the new, new earth come, the new Jerusalem will come down from heaven and will descend to the earth. That's what, that's what the scripture says. We'll talk about heaven in a couple of months. But that's what the Bible teaches. There will be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem will come down from heaven and it will be the perfect city in which we will live. Yeah? You're looking like I'm mad now. I'm not. This is what the Bible says. Okay, and so we're not encouraged um, uh, to look at earthly cities for our reward. Abraham is encouraged by God to look to the heavenly city, not Sodom and Gomorrah, not like the other pagans were looking at those things. No, the heavenly city that God was calling him to, the eternal thing that God was calling him to, the heavenly reward that God was calling him to. And I know this, that the new Jerusalem is going to be perfect. It's going to be stable. It's going to be absolutely beautiful to live in. It's going to be peaceful. 
There's going to be kindness there. There's going to be no more suffering there. No more sin there. No more disease there. We're going to enjoy it forever with Him. That's what the Bible promises. Ninth, do you notice that faith affects your family life? This kind of persevering faith, it affects your family life. Uh, Abraham is, is able to rescue Lot, his family, just as Noah did. And Abraham, in an amazing way, was able to pass on, like I've said, this kind of line of faith through Isaac and Jacob. Um, and they influenced their whole family in, in this journey of faith. And even Sarah, it says in verse 11, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even though she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. And you know from the story that initially she's, she's skeptical. In Genesis 18, she laughs and says, God, how can I have a child? But eventually God rebukes her, and she comes to a place of faith where she hears God's voice, Genesis 18. And what is interesting in these stories for me is that when you read the other great heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, many of them struggle to get their families to the same place of faith that they were. I find that incredibly encouraging. How many of you are trusting God for your, your son, your daughter, uh, uh, your extended family, and you are, you, something in you wants, longs for them to, to enjoy this place of faith that you enjoy, but they're not yet there? Anyone? Yeah? We're all trusting for someone. Don't let it discourage you. Even the great heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, some of them didn't see their own families enjoy the full thing that God had for them. Don't let it put you off. Persevere. Yeah? God has a plan for you and for your family. You're in good company if you're still trusting like that for those that you love. Okay? Tenth, faith overcomes what seems to be impossible. Verse 12. From one man... And him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. Do you notice that when we read of Abraham in the scripture, it often speaks of him standing alone. Uh, if you look at uh, Isaiah 51, verse 2, Look to Abraham your father and Sarah who bore you, for he was but one man when I called him that I might bless him and multiply him. Again, in Ezekiel 33, 24. Abraham was only one man, and yet he got possession of the land by which we are many. The land is surely given to us as a possession. I find it incredibly encouraging. One man is given the promise. In some ways, he stands alone. The promise says you're going to have a child. He says I'm as good as dead, but he believes God. And there seemed to be no hope that Abraham would ever inherit what God had promised but he persisted in faith he believed God and the result was one become millions beautiful one you one promise that you persevere in for your life could bless millions and out of the in, in this context of the millions there is one that is born again who's in the seed of Abraham who is blessing to Millions. Millions. And all of us are in a profound way. We are all, all Christians are, are, father, are children of Abraham, who is our father, who, who saw the coming of Jesus before it had happened. The one become many by faith. It's a great blessing. So faith overcomes what seems to be impossible as it persists. What are you trusting God for that seems to be impossible right now that you just need to persist in? That's faith. And you will see, you will see the, God, the breakthrough as, as you persevere. And then uh, the last two points are found in the, the last three verses. And I'm going to close with these two things. Number 11, 
Faith achieves successful God. I love this. Faith achieves successful God even after we die. I love that. Your life counts even after you die. What you persevere in now counts even after you die. Why do I say that? Well, the greatest example of that is Jesus. Jesus did amazing things when he was alive. Miracles, signs, wonders. Many people came to faith. He died, was resurrected from the dead. And look what Jesus achieved for the world after he died. Hugely more. Yes? What about, it says in verse 4, it says, of Abel, remember we looked at it last week, it says, he still speaks to us even though he is dead. The faith of Abel, the fact that he, he offered up the, the sacrifice by faith that pleased God, we still feel the effects of that now, after we, he's died. And now the writer of Hebrews, he says the same thing now. He says, these all died in faith, not having received the thing that they were promised. So what does that mean? Is that not a contradiction? That's no, not really. It's, it's saying that it's, they did receive the promise in some way. Hebrews 13, 11.3 says that they all have obtained promises. They did receive the promise in some way. God had given them an oath. He said, no, I'm going to do this. So he had bound himself to fulfill that thing. But um, so, for example, in Genesis 22, after Abraham had been prepared to offer up his son Isaac, what does God say? He says, now I promise you. I promise you I'm going to bless you because he says, I can see you love me. And so from that moment on, it was 100% certain that Jesus would come through the line of Abraham. Absolutely certain. So they did receive the promise. What he's trying to say is they did not fully receive the fullness of the promise while they were still alive. And something of what Abraham was promised was enjoyed by all of us after Abraham died. And that's a very important point. Uh, I trust that deeply encourages you that your life, as a, you live a life of faith, might have the fullest impact of your life after you've died. You, you, you don't know yet see what your life could be having impact in. I was um, reminded of uh, Spurgeon's story of his nanny. And uh, he, he writes about his nanny, the, girl, the, 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 the woman that raised him, and spoke of, of Christian doctrine and discipline. And Spurgeon said, I learned more of theology from her than I did from all the professors in the university. Isn't that amazing? That one woman that no one knows about lived a life of faith that spoke into the life of someone else, and the reward of that thing was seen by millions out of the life of that man. No one even knows who she was. Come on now. Doesn't that encourage you? Our lives count. It can count more after you've died. You don't know how much your life is going to count. Just live it, believe, believe in God and His goodness and His promises to you. Persevere in the thing that He's called you to do, and He will surely bring great fruit out of your life. It says in verse 13, These all died, having not received the thing promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. I love what Calvin says, you see, because there's this thing that persevering faith first sees. We might need to see what God is saying. We need to hear His voice. And that's quite passive in a sense, isn't it? You just, you believe God, you see the thing, you believe Him. But it doesn't just remain an intellectual thing, because it embraces us. It, it so grips our heart that it no longer is intellectual. It grips our heart and changes our heart. I want to just reject something that is in our culture, and our culture says this. My faith is a personal thing. It's very private. It's between me and God. I want to respectfully say to you, that is not biblical faith. 
Biblical faith always affects other people. Why? Because they can see the, trans the transformation of your life and that you're believing and living in it in a different way and it affects everyone that you come into contact with. It's not a personal thing. It's a very public thing, faith. Look at all those examples of Hebrews chapter 11. That, that what they did, believing God, the thing that, called, that they were called to do, affected communities, it affected nations, it affected everybody. Don't believe the lie that your faith is just personal between you and God. It is, you need to be saved, but what happens between you and God affects everybody. If you're living with conviction and passion and saying, Jesus, I'm pursuing you for the thing that you've called me to. Yes? Come on now. You can be a bit Pentecostal. I love what John Calvin says. He says this. I tweeted it this week. The word is not in faith when it merely flutters in the brain, but when it takes deep root in the heart. Well, that's what he's saying. Faith is not just intellectual. It's not just believing God. It is believing God, but then it drops from the head into the heart, transforms your heart, it absolutely liberates your heart, and what happens in your heart affects everybody. That's what he's saying. It's a deep conviction that comes. And it bursts out and everybody can see what you are living for. It's, it affects everything about your life. And so, they weren't really interested in the world's trappings and they didn't quite feel at home. Verse 14 says, For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They were living for heavenly glory. They knew where their true home was and they let everybody know, I'm living for that. I'm not living for this. Lastly, this kind of persevering faith, I'm talking to myself now, grows even when we get old. Persevering faith grows even in our old age. Verse 15, they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out. They would have had opportunity to return. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. The writer of the Hebrews is obviously thinking about Abram's old age. And what do people do when they get to the old age? They retire. And what do retirees do? They go back to the place that they were born. They go back to the place that they were born and they say, I'm just going to settle down here with my family in the land that I was born. Abraham was a man of faith. He didn't live like that till the day he died. Why do I say that? Well, we know from Genesis 20 that he hears from his family in Ur, in the Chaldees. And they say, "Come, Abraham, come back now. You mean you've been in Canaan all that time? Come back now. Just, just settle down. Just relax a little. You're too old now to be living this life of faith. Come back home. Be with your family. Relax. Stay here. It's nice here. Everybody knows you. He never retired. He never retired from a life of faith. In Canaan, it was difficult. He could have gone back. He could have gone back to the Chaldees and rested with his family, but he didn't retire. I put it to you respectfully this morning that you and I, as Christian people, as people of faith, never retire from a life of faith. We never do. It's not that they were living for Canaan. It's not that Abraham was living for Canaan. No, it's not, he wasn't. He was living for a better place. He was living for a heavenly country. But he knew that he could serve God best in Canaan. That's why he stayed. Verse 16. As it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Abraham was always saying, God, where can I be most effective for you? You've called me to Canaan. I can be most effective for you here. I'm not going back. I'm not going back. 
I'm not going back. You know how many people have asked me, when are you going back to South Africa? I'm not going back. Not because it's not a beautiful land and I don't love the people and my family's there. No, God called me here. This is where I'm going to serve Him until if I die here, so be it. I die here. I'm not going back. I'm living a life of faith. He called me. I'm not going to say, oh, well, I'm old now. I want to go back and live in Gordon's Bay or Stellenbosch. It's very beautiful there. No, no. He's called me here. <laughs> I'm not putting that on you. I'm just saying. That's my story. Persevering faith. And it says, um, lastly, it says, they stayed in Canaan, but looked forward to the heavenly glory was to come. And it says, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared for them a city. That's great news for all of us. Persistent, persevering faith wins through in the end, and we will finally gain our heavenly rewards. God will be proud of us, and we will hear that accolade from his voice saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, there's much I love about this world, but if, if you just look at the world in terms of the last couple of weeks, all that we've seen, it's incredibly wicked, it's incredibly unjust, it's, 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 there's much evil happening in the world right now. You and I, as people of faith, would do well to distance ourselves from the seductive influence of this world, to say that we need to be living for it, and let's live for the coming glory that is still in Jesus and God the Father. That's what He wants to live us, us to live for. I want to encourage you in your thinking, in your heart, don't let it suck you in. Don't let it suck you in. Live for eternity. Live for the reward that God has. Live for the well done that God has for you. I don't know, like I'm saying, I'm not putting my thing onto you. You have your call. I have mine. But live for that reward that He's calling to you too. So we can receive this highest honor, the greatest honor, God's commendation, His well done. And uh, ultimately, you and I are going to be with our Father one day in heaven. And we're going to get to new, enjoy the new heaven and the new earth as the new, new Jerusalem comes down. And we get to enjoy that, which is our eternal reward. Eternal righteousness will be found there. That's God, what God has prepared for us. That's where we're going. I trust that you'll become increasingly convinced, convinced of that. And this is how we get step by step closer to that thing that God has promised. We persist in faith. We believe Him. We trust Him. We say, yes, this is your word. I believe. We don't let distractions come. We don't let uh, dis disappoint disappointments shrink our hearts and our hope. We live with eternal reward in mind. God is good. He has that for all of us. He's a good Father. I trust that as you go on holiday, you'll reflect on these things. You'll let them grip your hearts, not just your heads. And next year when we come back, the new school term, we will live with this motivation beating on the inside of us that we too will have a story to tell, like the great Hebrews uh, chapter, I did the thing that God called me to do. Amen?